morning, everybody. Welcome to the well here at STSA. It's great to see so many people who are joining us for the first time. I see a lot of new faces. And it's also great to see so many people who were joining us for the first time throughout this series and coming back for more. That makes me really, really happy to see. And my hope and my prayer is that we're not just coming back for a good time and just kind of enjoy ourselves, but really the message of this series is really sinking in. And what is the message of this series? For those who are just joining us, we're in part four of a five-part series called God's Ethics. And just a little recap of what it is that we're talking about to catch you up to speed. There's a verse that comes to us from a book. It's called the Didache. All right, and the book of the Didache is one of the earliest, 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 earliest writings in all of Christianity, predating even most of the scriptures of the New Testament. And in it, it's ri- it was written by the guys, the 12 apostles, those who knew Christ the best. And in it, the very, very, very beginning sentence, the very first thing they said when they said, we need to document some of the things about our time with Jesus. We spent three years with him. We ate with, dinner with him. We saw him do miracles. We heard teachings. We saw so many different things from him. Let's write down some of the things that we learned. They put together a small little booklet. First sentence, which summarizes the entire ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in one sentence, is this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, and a great difference between those two ways. They said very, very simply, I'm not judging you and you're not judging me. No one is judging anybody. But in this world, there are two roads, and one road leads to life, And one road leads to death. And there's a great difference between those two ways. And for those who are here, the first week I told a story about how one time, several years ago, I was on my way to visit someone in a city called Westover, Maryland. And as I was driving, or I should say as I was sleeping while my driver, that my friend was driving the car, I fell asleep in the car. And we were supposed to stay on 50 the whole way. 50 east, 50 east, 50 east, 50 east to get a city called Westover, Maryland. I fell asleep. My driver apparently fell asleep too on the directions, and he ended up on, his, on, on not on 50, on 301 north. And I'm thinking that we're going east, and he's going north, and we're sitting there driving around, and we're singing songs, and we're having a good time, and we start asking directions, where's Westover, Maryland? They say, what's Westover, Maryland? And then we stop at another gas station. Where's Westover, Maryland? What's Westover, Maryland? We say, we're not close to Westover, Maryland. They said, son, you ain't even close to Maryland itself. You're in Delaware right now. And we realized at that moment in time, That even though, don't miss this here, that even though we thought in our minds that we were on the right road, in our minds, everything was fine. Everything, as far as we knew, I'm sure there were signs that said you're not on 50, but we weren't paying attention. I'm sure if we had checked a map, it would have told you you're not on the right road. But we were just kind of enjoying life and living life. And every single minute that we were driving, we were getting further and further and further from the destination. That trip cost me, okay, it was supposed to be a three-hour trip, ended up being closer to six hours because I ended up losing an hour and change each direction getting lost. Frustrated me severely. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ told us that at the end of this life, some people will be frustrated as well because they'll find the same thing happen to them. Now with this verse here from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, what I say is always the scariest verse in all the scriptures when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter, but he who lives out the life that my father desires. And then it says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Simply put, many people will come to say, we're supposed to get into this place called Westover, Maryland. And they say, actually, you're on the wrong road. Say, no, 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 no. Uh, it was, it, we were happy and we were content and we didn't freak out and we didn't think we were on the wrong road. Jesus says, sorry, I'm the gas station tenant guy. There's nothing I can do. You ain't in Westover, Maryland. You ain't on Route 50. As much as I desire to put you on Route 50, you ain't on Route 50. And there's nothing that I can do at this point in time to put you on Route 50 because you missed it. And the same thing's going to happen at the end of this world. And that's why it says the scary part, that word many. Is that many people is going to show up on the kingdom door, knock, knock, say, okay, let me in. Say, excuse me, you, you're not here. Say, no, 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 I'm here. He said, no, you lived your whole life on this road, and like this is the bad road. You lived your whole life on this road, and the entrance to heaven is that road. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you, you're on the wrong road. You say, no, 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 I went to church every Sunday. I went to church. I listened to sermons. 
I had a cross around my neck. I had a cross tattooed. I had crosses all over the place. I made the sign of the cross every time I say, God bless you to people who sneeze. I have a good heart. I have a good heart. That's Everyone has a good heart, right? I have a good heart. I say, sorry. It's not a choice. I'm not telling you I don't want you in here. I'm telling you, you are on the wrong road. That's why what this series is, is a stop the car, roll down the window, and ask the man at the gas station. Ask the man at the gas station. Okay, you have a gas station attendant in front of you, okay, and we're rolling down the window, and we're saying, wait a minute, am I on the right road or not on the right road? What am I supposed to be doing here? I know, I think I'm on the right road, but Jesus, the road that you set, the path that you laid, not what we have watered it down to be today. That's what we're looking at, is how we have watered down his road to our own standards. We looked at the last two weeks about uh, uh, sexuality, like our view of sex and sexuality, and how we took Jesus' command, all right, and we watered it down so much. And he says, not only committing adultery, but he who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. We talked about that. Then last week we talked about anger. Because he says it's not just people who murder. It's anyone who's angry with his brother, whether there is a cause or without a cause. Anyone who holds anger and grudges and bitterness and resentment, that one has already committed murder with that person in his heart. We saw Jesus' standard was completely different than ours. Completely different. What we're looking at in this series, there's a statement that I read, I said it the very first week. It says, if a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it doesn't matter what else he's right about. Agree? If a person is wrong about being right with God, then it really doesn't matter what else he may be right about. Because if you're wrong about that, that's all that matters. The number one thing that distinguishes the road of death from the road of life. Like if we had to boil it down, I told you all in the first week, the number one thing that distinguishes the road of death from the road of life, I boil it down, it's not an action, it's a mindset. It's your view towards sin. And for those who are here that first week, I'm sorry, I'm doing a little review here, but I just want to make sure this is fresh in our minds. The way the road of death, the path of death, says that sin, remember I talked about ethics versus obedience. Okay, remember that? Ethics is the way of the world, the way of death. Eth ethics says that sin is a line. That somebody, your ethics professor, drew a line in the sand and said, this is wrong and this is right. Your parents drew a line in the sand and said, this is wrong, this is right. Oprah, Dr. Phil, uh, whatever superstar says, this is wrong and this is right. Anyone determines whatever they want to be right and whatever they want to be wrong. Some people say, no kissing, no touching, no smelling each other before marriage. That's the line of ethics. And some people say, no, actually the line is kiss and stuff, but not too much stuff. And some people say, no, even the stuff, any stuff outside of sex is okay before marriage. And some people say, you know what, even if it is sex, just make sure you have sex with only one person before marriage, then you're okay. Whose line is right? If it's ethics, whose line? When we were kids, the ethical line, I love Lucy, was what you could show on TV was nothing. And now you see where the line is today, what they could show on TV. I can't even watch a commercial with my family without turning the channel. Okay, commercials. Everyone has a different line. That's the ethical viewpoint. We don't believe in ethics. We believe in obedience. And the obedience doesn't say that sin is a line, don't cross it. Obedience says that sin is a slope, and it's a dangerous slope, and every step down that slope is a slippery one, and you never know where you're going to hit slip, or you're going to fall all the way down that mountain. So we say, obedience doesn't say sex or no sex. Uh, drink one drink or two drinks or ten drinks or 15 drinks or just drink but you don't drive. Obedience doesn't say any of that. What obedience says is, is if there's something dangerous, man, stay the heck away. Remember the example that I gave? If my son wants to ride his bike on the mountain, all right, and he says, it's fun to ride your bike on the mountain. How close can I get to the edge? Can I get 10 feet? Can I get 5 feet? Can I get 3 feet? No, son, I love you too much. You ain't allowed to ride on the mountain because every time you ride on that mountain could be the last time that you ever ride again. So because I love him, I'm going to tell him, stay as far away from that mountain. Because God loves us, he says, stay away from lust, even the lust in here, because that could be the last one. Stay away from anger, even in here, because that could be the last one. Traveling the road of life is not about what you do. It's about a mindset that you approach life and approach sin. And today, our topic for today is the epitome 
the epitome of what I just said about a mindset versus an action. Because today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about, as you see the title of, of, of our talk today is Watch Your Mouth. We're talking about sins of the tongue. And the epitome of something that Jesus says is wrong, don't do it. But in our minds, it really isn't that big a deal is today's topic. And I'm going to test you today on what your true viewpoint on sin is. And are you willing to say something is it when something is a big deal to God, therefore it's a big deal to me even if I don't get it. We'll look at two passages from the gospel according to St. Matthew. Matthew 5 and Matthew 12. First from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, nor by, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Jesus starts to hit on what you say. Don't just say this. Be careful what you say. And then he expands on a little bit more in Matthew 12. I'm going to put both passages together. Verse 36. But I say to you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Those are big words. Let me read that one again. That for every idle word, not for every bad word, for every what word? Idle. What does idle mean? Nothing. It means idle. It means worthless. It means wasted. For every idle word, men will give account of it in the day of judgment. And that, watch now, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What is Jesus saying here? Again, I'm not saying do this or I'm going to judge you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying do this or I'm going to judge you. We talked about all the topics we talked about is not criteria for the kingdom, but is conditions for the kingdom. And the difference to me is this. I'm not saying do this and let me see you do it. Okay, you let in. I'm telling you that what does it mean to walk on this road versus walk on this road? Just like I say, if you jump off the Empire State Building, I'm not saying I will kill you. I'm saying you will die. Not because I'm choosing to kill you. Anyone who jumps off the Empire State Building, I'm going to kill you. You ain't going to have to. Because you have killed yourself. Because the law of gravity isn't, God isn't judging us. God has created the laws and he is warning us of how this world works. And he's saying the same thing right here. Is that your words will determine. I can look at you. This is what this verse is saying. I can look, I not look at you. I can listen to you. And tell by your words if you're on this path or on this path. Big deal or not big deal? Big deal or not big deal? To us, it's not a big deal. What's a big deal? I said a dirty joke. What's the big deal? It's a little lie. I, mean, I gossiped about so. Oh, we were gossiping. We were prayer requesting stuff. That's a big deal. Are we going to talk about someone behind his back? What's the big deal? Is it a big deal? The way we live our lives, according to ethics, is it a big deal? It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter what you say. If you look in the book of Proverbs, just the book of Proverbs alone, Proverbs, 60 references to sins of the mouth and sins of the tongue. Just in the book of Proverbs alone. New Testament, there's an entire chapter of Scripture which is dedicated to the sins of the tongue and the inability of man to control his tongue. James chapter 3, which are those for here for the divine liturgy earlier this morning. We read that chapter, actually, just happened to be the, the passage that was read today. There's passages that talk about, like I said, idle words. By your words, you be justified, be condemned. There's passages that talk about coarse jesting, foolish speaking, being a busybody in other people's lives with the stories. All these verses, you put them all together. You put them all together, and you see that, you know what, this is a big deal to God. And it may not be to me, but you know what? Jesus connected, whether you like it or don't like it, Jesus connected my words with the road of death, and with the road of life. So I need to pay attention to that today. Now, as, I'm as I said, my guess is that if I told you we're going to talk about the sins that make a big difference in your judgment day, the sins that make a big difference whether you're on the path of life or the path of death, no one would say this. Because let's be honest, doesn't God got bigger things to worry about than what I'm saying? Doesn't God got bigger things to worry about than who's spreading rumor and who's gossip? Like, he's got bigger things. Like, there's like, like serial killers. Talk about them. 
There's like, like uh, 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 rapists, bullies in school. There's terrorists. There's people who do 17 items and the 12 items are less lame. Like there's real bad people out there. Like let's talk about those people and let's condemn those people. Who cares if somebody said a little lie or said a little curse word? Like who cares about a curse word? Sticks and stones. Doesn't God know sticks and stones? Is it a big deal? By ethics? No. But by God? Yes. And we're going to see why today. Just a, a, a random sampling. Just so we're on the same page of what, what, what falls under this category. Because this is not just one thing that Jesus said. This is a category, sins of the tongue. I'm talking about gossiping, lying, slandered, uh, coarse jokes, meaning like dirty jokes. Okay, there's a whole list of things. Here's a, a verse about uh, gossiping. It says, let none of you, 1 Peter 4.15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Look what Peter did here. He said, I don't want this to happen to any of you. I don't want you to be murderers. I don't want you to be thieves. I don't want you to be evildoers. I don't want you to be nosy, busybody, gossip people. Okay, that should be like 16 verses later on the spectrum. It should be like all the really bad sins and then like gossipy sins. He put them on the same level, put them in the same verse. Gossip, just so we're on the same page of what is gossip, because it's very easy. Very few people would say that I'm a busybody in other people's matters. I heard a very nice definition of gossip one time. Gossip is any time you are speaking about a matter, even if it's true, okay? So don't say, well, it's true. No, it's still gossip even if it's true. Anytime you're speaking about a matter unfavorably towards another person when you are neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. That's, that's the equation that we use. If me and you are talking about something, if you, I got a problem with you, I can talk to you. You got a problem with me, we talk to each other. If I got a problem with so-and-so, I don't have any reason to talk to you about it. Because you ain't part of the problem, and you ain't part of the solution, it's gossip. Lying falls under this category. Lying, we all know the big lies. But there's the little lies, which fall under the same category. The stretching of the truth. You know how you fill out that expense sheet, that time sheet. You know when, you know when your wife asks you where were you and why you're late, and you say it was traffic. There's five minutes of traffic, and you're a half hour late, so you say it was traffic that made me late. It wasn't that you just late on your own? The little things that we stretch here and there, sins of the tongue. Slander is a sin of the tongue. What slander? We think of slander as what the politicians do on the commercials. And we say, we don't slander anybody. No, you slander. You know how you slander? You slander when you assume. You remember what your mama taught you about assuming. When you assume the motivations and intentions of other people. That's slander. Oh, you know why she did this? No, I'll tell you why she did this. This is what she meant. Oh, yeah, he may have said that, but i tell you, he really meant this. And you see how... Yeah, but this is what they meant. That's slander. You are slandering something. You are making an assumption about somebody's motivation or intentions. You don't have the faintest idea about you're slandering that person. Also, what falls under this category is when we take somebody's sin, because we all have sin, and the Bible says that we are to cover one another's sin. But we don't cover one another's sin. What do we do with it? We expand one another's sin. We cover our own and we expand one another. The Bible says we should do the opposite. Okay? We should make a big deal out of our own and a little deal out of others. We do the opposite. Swearing. All right? Swearing kind of has two categories. There's like the cursing, okay, the bad words, all right? And then there's like the swearing, like swearing, like saying, I swear, all right? And James addressed that. Just He quoted our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this in James 5, 12. He says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. So anyone... And I know a lot of us, we don't do these things intentionally. But it bothers me. I don't say it bothers me. But I don't like when people say, I swear this. And even if you have not the bad intentions. But the Bible says clearly, don't swear. So don't swear. Okay? Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. Lest you fall into judgment. Again, it connected it with the two paths. You know why we swear? You know why we say, no, I swear, I swear, I swear. You know why we say it? Because of what I said earlier, because we lied. And because our yes is not yes and our no is not no. And our word has lost its value. So we have to say add things like I swear. 
And we say these things, but if we stuck with the standard of my yes is yes and my no, no, we don't have to do these things. Here's the one that, that all of us, okay? It, I mean, it makes it as clear as possible. Ephesians 5, 3. Fornication, all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be named among you. Okay, that I'm fine with. We talked about that fornication. But it says also, in addition to that, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Clearly, God's standard for our words are a far cry from ours. Why? Why? Why is it a big deal to God? Like, why does he make such a big deal out of what we say? Well, the answer is this. Why does it matter to God? Because the truth is, whether you admit it or don't admit it, our words are a reflection of our hearts. Our words are a reflection of our hearts. And this is not my opinion. This is what Jesus said himself. Remember the verse I showed you in the beginning about how by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned? We're going to go back two verses to get the context of that verse because you didn't see the context of it. It started in verse 34 when Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And that's when he said, For every idle word, you will pay account for. Because by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Sometimes a girl will come to me. Father Anthony, I met the greatest guy in the world. The greatest boy in the whole wide world. He's smart and he's funny and he's so handsome. He reminds me a lot of you, of course, you know. He's got it like everything going for him. And I said, hey, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm happy for you. Is he close to God? Does he love God? And she'll say, well, you know, I don't really know. We've only been out like four or five times. You know what my answer is? Oh, you know. You don't know? No, you know. You don't know? I know. <laughs> Lady, sister, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if he was close to God, you would know it. Because a heart that is on fire for God comes out for nothing. What we talk about reveals what we care about. You talk about, again, let's say you just met someone new. All he talks about is career. All he talks about is his job, his boss, his coworker. That person values success, value career, value money, value all those things. You meet somebody who all they talk about is like what they can do on the weekend or like how they skip out of work. That person values comfort. You meet a guy, doesn't talk about anything. You know who he values? Being a guy. Okay? That's a, he, he enjoys that very much. Lady. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and a heart that is on fire for God, you will know it cannot be contained. I know this is myself. I see it. Sometimes I'll be frustrated. I'll be frustrated with one of my children, and I'm frustrated, but I'm not going to let him show it. I'm not going to show it. I'm going to hold it in, and oh, it comes out. Doesn't it, parents? It comes out. You try to hold it, you can't hold it, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can hold it for a minute or two minutes or three minutes, but you ain't holding much longer after that. A relationship, a husband and wife, which has lost the passion, which he's just going through the mo. Let's flip it and make the husband not always the bad guy. Where she's just going through the motion, where she's checked out. She can say all the same words, but husbands, you can feel it. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it just comes a matter of time until the words reveal the truth about the heart. So the truth of the matter is, what we care about is not the words. We care about the heart. But the words signify the heart. So here's what we're going to do now. I found There's a lot of verses in the scripture that speak about, what, about your tongue and the sins of the tongue. I wanted to choose one verse that can be our gold standard of what it is that we are going to strive to obey. All the other verses I showed you talk about the dangers. I want one verse. That gives me the gold standard, Jesus' standard, of what does it mean my tongue would be according to Jesus' standard. Ephesians 4.29. And listen to what Ephesians 4.29 says. And we're going to memorize this verse, okay? At least the important parts of it. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Say that with me. Say it after me. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? Now you go. 
that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? That it may impart grace to the hearers. Two components here, a negative and a positive. We're going to stop something on the negative. We're going to start something on the positive. The negative side is no corrupt word. We are committing today, and you see on your handout there, this is what we're going to sign at the bottom, okay, because we're making a commitment to strive for God's standard. The first half of God's standard, no corrupt word. No corrupt word come out of my mouth. No corrupt word. You know what the word corrupt means? If I say I got an apple that's corrupt or a banana that's corrupt, what's corrupt mean? It means rotten. It means stinky. It means its presence on the table means I need to wash the table. You walk in a room with corrupt food and it stinks up the whole place. I need my mouth not to spew out corrupt words, stinky words, words that when I leave the room, people got to open a window because of the words that spoke out of my mouth. I need that when I leave a conversation, no corrupt word leaves out, that people do not feel dirty after listening to my speech. But on the flip side, the positive, not just to stop a negative, but a positive, my goal is to impart grace to hearers. See how Jesus does this? This is everything we talked about. The last two weeks is the same thing here. Not just to stop a negative, because we're not just trying to define a line of don't cross this line. Stay on this side of the line. Forget the line. We're climbing a mountain. My goal is not to take any negative steps, no corrupt word, but then on the positive side, that my speech would impart grace to the hearers. What does impart grace to hearers mean? I'll show you a good verse here for you. Here's a verse to memorize as well. Very simple, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs gives you just something small, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. What Jesus is saying here, I'm sorry, what King Solomon is saying right here is that your words are stronger than you realize. In the New Testament, James chapter 3, like I said, we read it earlier today. James talks about your tongue as like a fire. Actually, no, not like a fire, like a match. He said your tire, your, your, your tongue is something small, something minuscule, but it can set the whole world on fire. And like a fire, your tongue, once it sets some, once something gets out, once I light this stage on fire, say, okay, no, put the fire back in my pocket. No, it doesn't work that way. Once you set it on fire, that fire, that fire becomes self-sufficient, and it goes and it expands all by itself. I meant to just light a small little piece of the stage on fire. That doesn't work that way. Your words are the same way. Something small came out. It's what you ended up with. Because the world is set on fire by your tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How powerful are words? A father can go to his son and say two words. Three words. Conjunction. You are worthless. And those three words can impact that child for the rest of his life. Agree? High school girl, and this is something, it's a true story. High school girl can hear people saying words about her reputation. Hear what people are saying, the gossip they say about her. And those words have the power to drive her into depression and take her life and commit suicide. And that's a true story. Words are powerful. On a maybe an easier note, friends, spouses, the stuff you say to one another, let me separate this, spouses, the stuff, wives, we're specifically wives, okay, because husbands probably usually they don't say anything, okay, that's usually the problem, wives, you think you are pushing him to be a better man with the nagging, the complaining, you ain't pushing him to be a better man, you are killing him. You are sticking a knife in his self-esteem. You are killing yourself, actually. You're killing your own marriage. You think that by beating him down, you're building him up? You're destroying him with your words. And you're destroying your own marriage. And any hope you have. And you can blame him the rest of eternity. And in the end, it was your words. Because in your words, is the power of death and life. Friends, we laugh, we joke, ha ha. Nobody ever says, hey, what you said hurt my feelings. None of your friends will ever tell you that. And I guarantee you, they'll come tell me that. We don't realize that. 
But in our words, there's the power of death and life. So what are we going to do about it? As I was preparing this message, I really felt this message, that God wants to deliver this message to us as a church. Like specifically us as a church, we need this message. We need this message. And here's what our, we talked about the negative side and what we're not going to do. No corrupt word. We talked about how death comes from our tongue. How are we going to bring life from our tongue? One thing. I'm just going to say one action item. And you, I could list you 50 action items, but one action item. And we're going to agree together that we are going to strive to do this. And we are not only, what we're going to see is that when we do this, we're going to be the prime recipients of it as well. Because every little bit that we give in this area is going to come back to us a hundredfold, and I'll show you why. Here's our commitment together. I will seek to affirm others. I will seek to do what, ladies and gentlemen? I will seek to? I will seek to affirm others. I will seek no corrupt word, but I'm going to impart grace to hearers. I'm going to make the hearers better off after listening to me. How? I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to leave this room here today, and I'm on a mission to affirm somebody. To affirm somebody important, somebody I just met, I'm going to affirm some. What's affirm mean? Affirm literally, like literally means, like if you make an affirmation, you're saying something is true. So something, I affirmed it, means a certain belief or a certain idea. I'm saying, yes, I validate this is a true idea. Every single person in this room, me first and foremost, every single person in this room, there's one person who's exempt from what I'm about to say. Every single person in this room has insecurity about something. Every single person. I'm telling you, I stand up here. You see I'm the most confident. I'm the most bold. I'm the most whatever. I'm telling you, I have insecurity. I hide it just like you hide yours. No one goes around wearing their insecurity on their sleeve. We would step on those kind of people in society. So we hide it. We mask it. We laugh about it. We joke about it. We're funny. We're guys. We talk deep. <laughs> Truth is, we're all insecure. And here's the thing about insecurity. I don't have the power to solve my own. But you do. You know that spot on your back you can't? But for somebody else, very easy. Right? All of us, I can't. But each other, I can't solve my own securities. If I did, if I could have, I would have. But I can't, so I won't. And you can't solve your insecurities. But you can solve mine and I can solve yours. And we're making a decision as a church family today that we're going to help each one another with their insecurities. Every single person in this room is insecure about something. A relationship that you're walking on eggshells around, insecure. Your standing at work, your career, your like success, a spiritual, a goal, an appearance, a financial, like everyone is insecure about something. Everyone feels little in some area of life. And God says, no, you're not little. You're big. And it's my job to affirm that in others. Because you know what happens? When I say I'm small and God says you're big, usually I'm like, well, God doesn't know what he's talking about. But then if you come and say, no, you know what? You are valued. No, you know what? I actually, I think very highly of you. You know what? I appreciate you more than you realize. How good does that feel? Huh? Like all of us right now, as I'm saying to people, are like, hey, how good does that feel? I'm not even talking to any of you. Like, I'm not even talking specifically to you. But just the words, letting them run over my ears, it feels good. Imagine if someone pulled me aside and said, hey, I appreciate you. I value you. I think you are worthwhile. You think you're worthless. I think you are worth a lot more than that. You know what happens when you affirm one another? You know what happens? You know who you are when you affirm and encourage and appreciate and stick whatever words you want to. You know who you are? You know who you become? Who is the most affirming person in the universe? You're Jesus. Because that's all Jesus did. He went to people who felt doubt, who felt like nothing, and he picked them up. True story. Make you laugh a little bit. Talk about how uh, importance of our words uh, three weeks ago or four weeks ago? I think it was three weeks ago. 
I did something I'd never done before. Something that I had always wanted to do. It was kind of a little mini dream come true for me. I coached a football game. My son plays flag football, all right, and he's got a coach and an assistant coach. Both of them were out of town this Saturday. So he asked if me and another one of the dads, Kurt, okay, who I don't think I see him here today, but uh, me and Kurt's kids are on the same team. He asked if we could, like, sub in to be the coaches. Kurt took the defense. I took the offense. And this was my, for those who know, like, people say, what are you going to do when you grow up? What I'm going to be when I grow up, my dream is to be a coach. I honestly think I'd be a very good coach, and I, like, this is my dream. I'm telling you, I woke up early this Saturday morning. I woke up early. I did my prayer. I did my quiet time. I came out, Marianne, breakfast right there. I said I had the best quiet time in the world. She says, really, what? What, what happened? I was like, I came up with three or four new plays, okay? <laughs> We're going to run misdirections. We're going to run Michael off the, and of course, because it's my son, because I'm coaching, who should be quarterback? Michael, I want you to be the quarterback for the week. Okay, yeah, we'll let you be the quarterback. This is my dream come true, okay? And in addition, all the stars were lining up for Vince Lombardi here to take over the world as the greatest coach win coach of the year because our team hadn't won a game, and we were playing the other team that had never won a game. So this was our golden opportunity. We are going to stomp on these guys. I had a whole, I took the coach's playbook, I threw that away, drew my own set of plays, okay? Again, featuring my own son as, as the highlight of it. I even wore a hat. I never wear hats. I came downstairs, I promise you, I've been married 13 years, I never said this before in my life. I said, Marianne, how's this hat look on you? <laughs> she said, why are you wearing it? I said, it makes me feel like more of a coach because I have something to throw or, you know what I mean? So like, I'm ready, I got my clipboard, like, and I am psyched, psyched, psyched for this day. It was October 25th was the Saturday that I remember. Game starts off. We start with the ball, all right? And I'm, I'm ready to roll with these guys. First play, we fumble the ball in the end zone. We get a safety, okay? So we give up a safety. So they score 2 nothing. Fumbles happen a lot in this league. So they score 2 nothing. I said, it's okay, guys. We get them right back. They get the ball. We tackle them in their end zone. 2-2. Two -two. We've never been this close in any game in the history of the season. 2-2. Two -two. We get the ball back, and I say, guys, we are marching down this field. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you. My son, Michael, dropped back, hit James across the middle. James dodged one guy. Boom! To the end zone. We were now winning seven, I'm sorry, nine to two. We were winning nine to two. We were up. I'm jumping. I'm racing all over the, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Nine to two. We lost 37-9. <laughs> Not only that. Not only that, not only that, it was a doubleheader. We have two games. Okay, guys, we'll finish this. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll get the next game. We find out who's the team we're playing in the next game. Same team. 25 nothing in the second game. So we've now been outscored by a total of 60 to 9. And the 9 we got in the first minute, we haven't scored for three hours. You can imagine how these kids were feeling. You can imagine how the coach was feeling as well. Okay, this is my one shining moment. And these kids were down, and kids are faking injuries, and kids are <laughs> quitting. And, <laughs> and I'm there, and I'm just trying to just rally the troops and rally the troops. So I pulled these guys. By the end of it, realized we're not going to score a point, okay? This is very clear. We are not going to score. We're probably not going to stop them from scoring as well. The only we beg for mercy is all our hope is. I pulled these kids aside. I said, look here, kids. I played basketball for three years from sixth grade through eighth grade. We didn't win one game for three years. But we fought our guts out. And we had more fun than any other team. And we laughed and we joked because we knew that no matter what the score was, we were going to have fun and we were still good. And eventually, look what can become of us. <laughs> and I tried to pick them up in any way I could. And I said, after that moment in time, because they were all down, you know what? I'm just going to incur whatever play happens. I said, I'm just going to be happy. Hey, that's okay, Joey. You know, uh, we'll get him next time. That's okay. Hey, uh, Patrick, uh, that's good. Next time forward, not backward, we'll try to go. You know what I mean? Hey, don't worry about holding on to that ball. It's not important. Just give it to the other guy. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what it is, I said, I'm going to pick these guys up. And I'm telling you, I don't want to say, I don't want to put words in the other kid's mouth, but I'm telling you, this was the best day of football they ever had. I'm telling you. We got our brains beaten out, okay? But, man, we had a good time. And I don't want to say that the kids would rather me than the other coach, but we'll just, I mean... <laughs> We'll just leave that one as, as, as kind of an editorial. Here's my point. Here's what I discovered at that moment in time. Those kids, 
None of them are here right now, so forgive me what I'm about to say. They stink. <laughs> but here's what I discovered that day. They know they stink. They didn't need somebody else to tell them, you stink. They know they stunk. They needed somebody to tell them that even though you stink, I still care about you. You're still a valuable person in my eyes. You know what? I promise you, the people that you, the big kids, the adults, are no different than the little ones. You don't think the people around you know their weaknesses? You don't think they know that they stink? They don't need you to point out that they stink. They know they stink. Their boss tells them they stink. Their husband tells them they stink. Their kids tell them they stink. The whole world tells them you stink. We don't need to tell them that. We need to tell them that even though you stink at this area, I still think you have value. That you may stink at work, but you're valuable at home. And even at home, you may stink at certain areas of home, but you are very valuable in other areas. As a friend, you stink at remembering my birthday. You're the worst. But when I tell you, you are the best at making me feel like a million bucks. Isn't that what Jesus did to people? Jesus saw a man named Zacchaeus. The whole world tell him, you stink. You stink. You stink. You're bad. You don't care about us. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I see value in you. And Zacchaeus changed his life. Lady was caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. And they all said, you stink. You're not worthy to live. Jesus said, no, I see value in you. What you did is wrong. What you did is wrong. But that doesn't make you a bad person. I, go, I, I keep going. I talk about the thief on the right. I talk about the Samaritan woman. I talk about uh, Levi, Matthew, the tax collector as well. I talk about every, I talk about Peter, boneheaded Peter, boneheaded Peter, who made one boneheaded mistake after another and couldn't get out of his own way. Jesus said, even though you stink in so many areas, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you because I see value in you. Jesus affirmed him. Look what it did to Peter. No corrupt word, impart grace. You know what grace is? The standard definition that we make of grace is grace is a gift of God. So when you impart grace, when you affirm one another, you are God to that person. You are giving them something that is not your own, something that is from God. Last verse, Proverbs ten eleven. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. This is going to be us. You tell me, is this going to be us? I'm telling you, I'm standing in front of you that say I'm committing that my mouth will be a well of life. I'm going to fall, all right? And you're going to forgive me when I fall, and I'm going to forgive you when you fall. But I'm going to strive that I'm not going to go idle words, that I'm not going to go corrupt words, that my mouth is going to be a wellspring of life, that I'm going to use any opportunity I can to build somebody up, to affirm somebody, to encourage somebody, And see the power of those words. Like I said, Jesus saw a Samaritan woman, lady by the side of a well, spoke a few simple words to her. Simple words. Wasn't anything profound or anything, like it wasn't a long conversation. Simple words. Changed her life forever. Peter, same Peter I talked about a minute ago, stood up on the day of Pentecost, said a few words. A few words. About Jesus, you killed him, he rose. A few words. History was never the same after that world was upside down. I gave many bad examples. Let me give you a good example. A teacher, a teacher, and again, this is a true story. Go to a child struggling in her class. Says, I believe in you. Not knowing that that child has never heard those words before. She didn't know that. She said, I believe in you. And I'm telling you, that phrase, I believe in you, became like crack cocaine for that child. Changed his whole life was addicted, doing anything he could to keep her believing in him. This is who we're going to be. You all agree with me? This is who we're going to be. And let me tell you how we're going to be this. We are going to be people who are going to walk on this road of life. That's our goal. That's all. In the end, nothing else matters. In the end, 
the world may end, even if the world doesn't end for a billion years, you can go outside and you get hit by a bus today. You always live your life as if you can get hit by a bus the next day. That's how you always live your life. You go outside and get hit by a bus. I need to be on this road of life. And if I didn't get hit by a bus, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to extend this road of life to as many people as I can. I'm going to tell the people on the sidewalk, come join my life. I'm going to build people up. I'm going to encourage people. I'm not going to let my words tear people down, but I'm not going to be content to just not tear down. I'm going to strive to build people up with my words. And I'm going to strive to do that, not just to the people that I know, but even to the people that I don't know. Just yesterday, just yesterday, if I, I, if I could I sit here all day and tell you stories like this. Just yesterday, somebody told me that God put somebody on their heart, meaning that someone's name just popped in their mind or just popped in, inside just someone's name. And a simple call to this person, a simple, hey, let's get together and catch up, which you didn't even think anything of it, may have changed the course of eternity for this person. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not just mad. I just told this to someone yesterday. A simple phone call may have changed the course of eternity for somebody. You don't realize these things. And you say, well, it was just a conversation. It was just a phone call. It was just a I'm telling you, for that person, you don't know. So that's why what we're going to do is we're not just going to encourage our friends. We're going to absolutely encourage our friends. We're going to affirm the people that we know, but we are going to be spirit-led people. We're going to be people that a random person, who I sit next to and say, you know what, that boy, I haven't seen that boy in a while. Hey, you know what, I miss you. I haven't seen you in months. I'm happy that you're here today. You don't know what those words might do for that person. You don't know what those words might do for that person. You know what, sometimes what stresses me out, what I get stressed out, as the church grows, and the church grows, and the church grows, and it's great that the church grows. That's the best thing in the world, because that means people are finding Christ. There's nothing better. As the church grows, I'm kind of a control freak. So how are we going to keep track of everyone? How, are we gonna, how many times do I call that person? And I want to make sure I don't lose track of that guy. I want to keep everyone, keep everyone. You know what? I discovered I can't. But you know what? That's not a good system anyway. Coming up with a system to keep track of everyone is not a good system. You know what a better system is? We need all the members of the body of Christ. To be two things. Number one, led by the Spirit of God. And number two, know the value of their words. And if every single person in this room is led by God and is in tune with God and is walking this path of life and they know the value of their words, and then God doesn't need me to call every single person in this room. God puts someone on your heart. The most random person. Call that person. Or we don't call. Uh, text them or, or, or <laughs> Facebook them or whatever. Just no, forget it. Just talk to the person. Okay? Talk to them. Use your mouth every now and then. Because it's words, not... Okay? It doesn't say death and life are in the power of the finger. It says in the tongue. Okay? Use your mouth. Talk to that person. You never know. God put someone on my heart. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I'll be just walking and just someone comes in my mind. Hey, that's a God thing. Use that as an opportunity to pick someone up to affirm someone. On your handout, you have a covenant. All right, every week, what we're doing is we're challenging ourselves not to keep God's standard. Okay, I'm not signing. It means I'm never going to fall, but I will always strive for that standard. And I'm challenging you to commit to God's standard for your mouth. I'm going to say one story, and I'm going to finish, and I'm done. And it's a story of a man who had a vision. And in the same day, this man had a vision of heaven and of hell. Let's start with hell. First, he saw hell. And he saw down there, as you can imagine, a horrible scene. People suffering, people miserable. He said everyone was, was like, like, uh, like, like very malnourished, like skinny, skin and bones, diseases, like rotting away in the flesh. Every single person was dirty, was stinky, was disgusting. And the reason why, he said, in hell... Everyone had stiff arms, okay? No one could bend their arms, so no one could feed themselves. No one could bathe themselves. Everyone's arms were stiff, and therefore, all of them were withering away because they couldn't do anything for themselves. Now, heaven. He saw a picture of heaven. Heaven was the exact opposite, as you can imagine. Everyone smiling. Everyone full of health, full of life, full of joy, laughing, joking. Everyone in heaven seemed perfectly healthy. And then he noticed something. They also had the same stiff arms. Where they couldn't feed themselves. And they couldn't do anything for themselves. 
So what's the difference between heaven and hell? Because in heaven, in heaven they didn't feed themselves, they fed others. In heaven, they didn't take care of themselves, they took care of others, and others took care of them. Stiff arms, I'm going to view that as our words. And I'm going to say, how, what you choose, to, like I said, your words cannot pick you up. You can try, but your words can't pick you up, but they can pick someone else up. You choose whether you're going to live in heaven or hell on this earth. You choose whether today's going to be a day in heaven, a day in, sorry, start with a day in hell, where you're just trying to pick yourself up, and you see other people who can't pick themselves up, and you just worrying about how you get to yourself, or are you going to live in heaven today? And you can say, I can't do anything about my own insecurity, but I can do something about yours. I can't do anything to pick myself up, but I can do something to pick you up. And that's when truly this church will become heaven. That's when truly this place will be heaven on earth. And like I told you before, we have to beat people away with a stick to get them to not walk through these doors. And we are using our words to encourage, to affirm, to appreciate each one, to pick one another up. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we're asking you from the bottom of our heart that you would help us to strive for the standard that you have set in everything in life, but especially today in the area of our mouths. Lord, so many times things slip out of our mouths we don't even notice. And before we even finished saying it, already had a negative effect and set the world on fire. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have like hearts that are full of grace, that we may impart grace to others. Hearts full of love, that we may show love to others. Let this church, let the people who are standing in this room right now, to be, to be the most encouraging, the most supportive, the most affirming people in the universe. And then let it come back to them in their own life. And let, and, and let other people come to them and do the same thing for them. Lord, you told us by our words to be justified, by our words to be condemned. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to start taking account of our words and living to your standard in this area. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week.